What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Jessica Sackett on today's episode. I'm so excited. Jess, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you like. Hey, Shelly. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I guess I can start where most people do. Uh, In 2013, I met my who would be husband at work. And over the next couple of years, we, we dated, we lived together, we moved around, we changed jobs and changed states. So we had met in Washington, D.C., and then had moved up to Boston for a little bit. I'm originally from New England. There was a bad, really bad winter with over 100 inches of snow. So we ended up moving back to Virginia, um, which is where we live. And we realized we were sick of renting. So we bought our first condo, um, and that was the first place that really felt like home for us. And it was a major milestone in our relationship because we ended up having a job, jobs where we were both working from home side by side from each other. (laughs) So we were literally inches away. And when we would tell people that we spend all this time together, they'd say, don't you guys get sick of each other? And we're like, no, not really. So it was a good test for like, have you found your person when you spend all this time? After we got married, we knew we wanted to have kids. uh, And we figured that it would happen pretty easily. I think like most people who are naive and that we're both healthy. We were in our 30s. So my husband at the time was 35 and I was 33. And I knew, you know, you don't really want to wait forever because there's really no perfect time to have kids. But we said, okay, we, we can start trying. And that happened to be at the end of 2018. Looking back, I used to think, oh, I'd have three kids by the time I was 30. And that just like, sounds crazy to me. I applaud people who figure out their life situation in their 20s, but we had always been very career focused and I obviously didn't meet my husband until I was in my 30s. So things didn't align until the 30s decade, which for me, I'm hopeful and optimistic that uh, it's the best, the best one yet, less figuring stuff out. So when we decided we were going to start trying, I think my approach was pretty similar to what most people do. So just looking more at your cycle. I had been using this free app called Period Tracker. There's like nothing fancy about it, but it works. You basically just enter like when your cycle starts and ends. And I have been using this app uh, since 2011. So I have like nine years, (laughs) nine years of data. And (laughs) which sounds crazy. Cause like when you say my average cycle day is X, you're like, okay, this is like legit. (laughs) Um, and you don't realize how much long you've been doing something until you scroll and you're like 2011, that's a long time. Um, so my cycle had always been regular. I, you know, go to regular doctor's appointments, nothing abnormal. Um, I eat a healthy diet, I exercise. So, you know, I thought I was in, was in good shape there. So just being mindful of my cycle was one, um, like tracking cervical mucus. That was sort of my other method. Just being aware of that um, was never an issue to identify like when the fertile window was. The only other tool that I added was like the Ava bracelet. So for me, I knew I needed to be monitoring my temperature. So 
that lets you get your skin temperature while you're sleeping at night. So it was really easy to see, is my temperature going up, plotting it on a graph and making sure, okay, like this is when it's, when it's go time. I think I also joined a Facebook community through the Ava bracelet. And that was really the first time where it opened my eyes to people trying to have a family and it didn't work right away because women were sharing their stories about how, how many cycles they've been trying, you know, six months or longer, years. And you're just like, what if that's me? Is it going to be me? I don't know. It's just not something I ever talked about when my husband and I decided we were going to start trying, you know, you don't announce it to the world. I'm going to try to have a baby. You, you know, keep that conversation private and you don't really share it with people. So it's not until you're vocal about it that you can kind of get reactions. So the Facebook group was good for me in that it was a resource for what other people are going through. So through 2018, just kind of like tracking my cycle and trying, but no results. We ended up getting my first positive pregnancy test in April of 2019. And this was the first test that I had ever taken and it was positive. Uh, and I took that as a super lucky sign. Um, I had waited until like 12 or 14 days after ovulation to test. I had willpower back then and I got the positive, like I had seen people plan these announcements to share with their husband. And I'm like, I could do that, but I like spilled the beans by the time he was eating breakfast because I just can't keep secrets. I'm the so, same <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I could get you a onesie. I could get a book. Like I could do something really creative, but then it's like, no, here's a test. Um, and it's positive. So like you look at each other in that moment and you are just so thrilled because it changes your life forever or you think it does because you start planning and you start thinking about what it's going to be like to be parents. And not that you didn't do that before, but the positive test really solidifies like it's real, like it's going to happen. So that was super exciting. And, you know, you start thinking about what the nursery would look like or what names would be like, is it a boy or a girl? Like all of these things that sort of had been in the back of your mind when you're saying, let's start a family. And the, the test was sort of the enabler for that. Um, so after the first test, I continued taking tests for the next week, and they were still positive. I had scheduled an appointment with my doctor around eight weeks. So it was, you know, the typical waiting time to go in and get an ultrasound and see if everything was okay. About a week after the first test, I was in a meeting um, for work, not in the office, outside of the office, and just started having this like intense stomach cramping. It felt like period cramping, to be honest, and I felt kind of this gush, and I said to myself, oh God, this can't be good. So I went to go and check on things, and sure enough, there was bleeding, and there were some clots, and it just you know, in that moment, like, this is not going to be good. Call the doctor and the doctor's office says, you know, it's late. We recommend you go to the ER because you're bleeding. Um, Want to get things checked out. So I go and you're in this waiting room. It's packed with people who, you know, it's the typical emergency room experience. No one wants to be there. You're there for something really emotionally trying and the hours that lead up to the answer that you know you're going to get are just are really difficult. So just like sitting there with my husband, it was 
you're Googling things and sometimes you hear, you find whatever answer you want on Google, which is the name of the game with the interwebs where, you know, bleeding and early pregnancy, you can find the baby was fine. And then on the opposite spectrum, you know, things didn't work out. So we go through the ER process of like getting my HCG taken. Um, my levels were 50, so they were low. Um, the ultrasound tech um, did a vaginal ultrasound, and um, you know it came back that there was there was nothing there. So the bleeding and the small clotting were taking care of things, and I ended up having a chemical pregnancy, which I had never heard of before. Um, the name sound the name itself sounds <laughs> really cold and just it, it's clearly a scientific term of some sorts because it's just not the best name I think any of the names for like miscarriage it's just it seems not the the best way to describe things because of the deep emotional attachment to it but I had a chemical pregnancy my gynecologist or OB was still optimistic she's like well you know you still can get pregnant so this is a good sign and my husband was optimistic as well surely more than me and was like we'll just try again so the chemical pregnancy lasted you know about a week with more intense bleeding and cramping and the small clotting and you're just like on top of the emotional um wrath that you're experiencing just the physical side effects as well are, are hard to go through at once but trying to stay optimistic and the next month in may um, we had tried after the chemical pregnancy but I was sort of hesitant and, you know, you're less sure about things now that you've had a loss happen. So when we got a positive pregnancy test in May, I was experiencing a completely different first reaction. The first test for the chemical pregnancy, it was like pregnancy test positive equals baby. And with this time in May, it was, oh my God, what if it happens again? Like, is it going to happen again? Do we know? Do we not know? It was the uncertainty and all of the anxiety around nothing is guaranteed that was really challenging for me, I think, because usually I'm a problem solver. And if I am going through something, like I'm a fixer, you want to make things better. Like if there's something that's not working, it's like, okay, well, what can I do to make it better? And in the instance of a chemical pregnancy, it's like, well, it was like a chromosomal issue. Like you know, you can take supplements and try to fix it, but things are left to beyond your control ultimately. And like letting go of that control was, was really hard for me. So we had a positive test and my doctor had said, given the chemical pregnancy, like, let me know and we'll have you come in early. So I ended up going to the doctor around six weeks and a couple of days for this time. And when, once we passed that five-week mark where I didn't make it in the chemical pregnancy, I thought it was a, like, milestone for, okay, we made it this far. Like, it's one hurdle to overcome because thinking about nine months and the weeks that make up those months, it can be very emotionally draining, especially when you're going through something that didn't quite end up the way you expected. So we went in for that six week appointment, you're in the waiting room. And obviously there's very visibly pregnant people in the waiting room. And I've heard others mention, like it's such a triggering environment for people who have gone through a loss and 
like the best business model OBGYNs could do is separate waiting rooms between people who are pregnant and people experiencing a loss because it's just really hard to sit there and process while you're visually looking at something that is making you, you know, feel a certain way. So we're in the, the room and she starts to perform the vaginal ultrasound and we see a baby and we see a heartbeat and it's sized right. And, you know, my due date would be in January, I think with my obsessive tracking, it's like, that's one of the first things you do is you calculate when the due date would be like, you jump all the way ahead. This would be a January baby. So post holiday and it would just continue the excitement. And I looked at my husband as the doctor was, was printing the ultrasound pictures and it was like wow like this is this we're gonna actually be parents like we have a baby we didn't have this before um so she said since everything looks good you can come back in four weeks and that would be around 10 weeks and the four weeks in between those while I was waiting for the next appointment were like the worst four weeks of my life in the sense that I was completely nauseous the entire time And I probably had maybe one to two weeks after that first test where I was fine. And then the nausea hit and it just felt like I was on the verge of vomiting all the time. Sometimes I would, depending what the food smell or um, food that I was trying to eat was. I just started having these like intense food aversions. I actually bought, this is going to sound crazy, but I bought the like airplane sickness bags to keep in my bag so I would have something around me at all times if I was going to get sick because my worst fear was was getting sick and like feeling like I'm going to vomit and actually vomiting in front of others and you know that was just horrifying to me so I had those in my bag I had like (laughs) I had this bucket bucket in my car I call it a throw up throw up bucket but growing up my mom we called it a throw up bucket it was basically this like dish pan which was you know a square rectangle it was large enough where like you didn't miss when you were throwing up so I actually bought one of those for the car because when I was driving to and from work like the motion of being in the car just like intensified things regardless of like how many saltines or dry awful crackers I tried to consume. So dealing with that, I tried to stay optimistic and say, okay, well, if I'm feeling this bad, like something is going on. Like if I wasn't feeling any sickness, then I feel like I would more likely worry because then even though that's not necessarily a sign to me, like sickness over no sickness said, hey, something is like working. Like it'll be worth it. This is worth it in the end. So you're, you're just like going through the motions of like going to work and like pretending that you're like absolutely fine when you're like trying to eat oatmeal at like 11 or 2 PM in the afternoon. And you're just, you're just getting by. So we, we go to the doctor for 10 weeks, uh, the 10 week appointment. And the weekend before we were around my husband's family that we don't normally see. And he really wanted to tell people. And I was like, we really should wait until the second appointment. He's like, don't really see them very often. Like I want to tell people in person. It's just a different experience than when you're telling someone through FaceTime and you're like showing them a pregnancy test. It's like, you miss the joy and the excitement of like getting hugs and seeing their smiles and 
just the tangible emotion behind it. So we told them the a couple of days before this 10 week appointment and everyone was super excited. Like for me, you know, and my family, like it's my sister and I, and um, I would be the first one to have a grandchild. So my parents were always excited. Um, and on my husband's side, he's the oldest um, and he'd be like the second child that would have grandchildren. So it, both parents and every relative that we had shared the experience with were super excited. We go into this 10 week appointment and I'm thinking like, I just can't take any bad news given how bad I feel. Like this has to be worth it for something. And we go in and she said, you know, we can try an on top of the stomach ultrasound. So she starts like putting the goop on and she is looking at the monitor and she's like, uh, let me look at the vaginal ultrasound. I'm not seeing what I expect to see. And she's like, this doesn't mean anything, but I just, I need to get a closer look. So she leaves and I just get this intense pit in my stomach as I look at my husband and say, like, this, is this happening again? Like, how can this happen again? Like, this isn't good. Like, this is not, not good. Everything was fine before. Like, we saw a heartbeat. It was sized right. When you see a heartbeat, generally, like, that's a strong indicator that early that, you know, likely to progress is higher than not seeing anything at six weeks. So she comes back, she starts doing the vaginal ultrasound, and she kind of like turns the monitor away. And she's kind of like, you can tell she's like probing and like hunting to see because she's not seeing what she's expecting. And she kind of stops and looks at me and says, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat and the baby is sized around seven weeks. And I, you just don't know what to, what to expect or how to handle your emotions. So I think I just broke down at that point. And I say, I think because for such painful memories, I think some are very clear and then others I've tried to like block out. I think it's part of the like post-traumatic stress experience, which I, I totally think I have. I usually don't self-diagnose, but in this instance, like the waiting room, visually picturing the experience, like as I'm talking about it now, and then just as you go back to the waiting room and you're in those same rooms, like there's definitely feelings that bubble to the surface and you're just completely horrified. So she's, she's telling us this, that we had a, a miss miscarriage. So this is a different type of miss miscarriage where then a chemical pregnancy and you start learning all of these things and you're like, this is not, this is nothing that I wanted to learn about because you don't want to learn about this until obviously you're actually going through it. And she said, you know, your body didn't recognize that you weren't pregnant anymore. So like you weren't bleeding, you weren't cramping. Like I didn't have anything. Like I was just going on thinking like every time I try to use my mint toothpaste, I want to vomit and you know, um, something is growing and inside of me and to think that for you know the four weeks in between appointments and then one minute you're pregnant growing and feeling nauseous all the time and then the next minute you're not was just I mean it's still difficult to comprehend because there was no transition with like something seems off and then a slow acceptance it was just like ripping the band-aid and for me that was extremely challenging to deal with um, She's like, given how far along it's been, I recommend you do a DNC. And I agreed because I felt like I needed control in the process where 
you know, I read about people taking the medicine and, you know, sometimes it doesn't work right away. And sometimes you have to take another dose and, you know, it's not as like cut and dry for like, okay, if I go in, it will be handled. And then like, you can try to move on uh, as best you can. So I was scheduled for the DNC on July 3rd. So the bad news struck early July and then I had the DNC. I ended up in the emergency room like the day after the 4th of July because I thought I was having some type of like fever. I was, I had a high temperature and I was like sweating and I had chills. I basically had symptoms on the sheet that they hand you when you leave. And it says like, watch out for these. So you're like, is this it? Is this not it? Um, Like I didn't want to mess around with potentially like having some type of reaction and not addressing it. So um, they just, you know, you stay there and they're like, okay, just monitor your symptoms. And then you sort of start the process of recovering from that. I think for me, the combination of the bleeding, which, you know, no one can tell you how long it lasts. You know, they don't remove everything when you have a DNC. So, you know, some people it lasts two weeks. Some people it lasts longer. I think for me, the most horrifying part was the the clots that somehow didn't get mentioned that I would be passing. And I was, it was just another layer of like, oh my God, you're experiencing intense like cramping. And, you know, when you start to see these clots, it was just not, not the visual picture that I, I wanted to remember. And my husband up until this point, I mean, he's always been supportive of me um, in terms of being a good emotional support system, which I am extremely thankful for. Um, But the physical side of things, I think I often had to over-explain to him, which I totally get because, you know, it's not their body. They're not going through this. He didn't feel sick for over a month. And the, the connection there is different, like observing and actually going through it are different. Sorry to interrupt, guys, but we have another sponsor for today's episode. Today's sponsor is Prove, which I'm so excited about. Prove is the first at-home progesterone test that gives results in just five minutes. Progesterone is so important to conception and pregnancy. Without it or enough of it, successful conception and pregnancy just isn't possible. Prove was invented by PhD scientist Amy Beckley after she went through infertility herself. She had multiple losses, seven in total, before realizing that low progesterone was her issue. With the help of a simple supplement, she conceived and carried her daughter for nine months. This daughter is now thriving and six years old. Prue's mission is to help other women get more information earlier on in their fertility journeys so they don't have to suffer month after month of disappointing pregnancy test results or loss after loss with no answers. So thank you so much, Prue, for sponsoring this episode. You guys, visit provetest.com and use my special promo code LAM20, L-A-M-2 zero for 20% off your order. And I'll go ahead and I'll link that in the description of this episode. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting our sponsors. It helps me continue to provide this platform for free for us all. Now let's get back into today's episode. I actually showed him like one of the clots, which maybe a little weird, but I was like, you really, you kind of need to understand what's going, what's going on. So I showed him and he looked at me and he just had this look on his face. And I was like, yeah, this is what's happening. Like, this is why I'm like curled up on the couch and not my best. And, you know, you, there's always 
things that you say you never want to say to someone that's going through a loss and you know like the like just get over it or like it'll get better or like sometimes you just want to hear like sorry and I think in that moment he just his level of sympathy was like significantly elevated for like the physical aspect of going through it emotionally the two to three months after were just like a complete shit show like (laughs) crying was sort of the main emotion like right after like why me why now like looking at all these people that have kids who are pregnant like huge triggers I I mean there were triggers after the chemical pregnancy but after this second one it just was magnified in the sense that like it happened twice like is something wrong when they did the DNC, they, um, they didn't do testing. And my doctor was still on the mindset of like the three losses before you do the recurrent testing, because as much as you think this isn't normal in a doctor's world, like multiple miscarriages somehow is to some respect, which, you know, if you can prevent, if you can prevent them, you can prevent one. And if you can prevent multiple, like across all the women that are out there trying to conceive, like, why wouldn't you? I don't, I don't get the really wait and see approach. Um, so like coming to terms with that, that I may not have answers as to why this happened again was, was really frustrating, certainly frustrating for me. Um, so the sadness, you know, was very magnified at the beginning. And then I think anger and sort of jealousy crept up and I'm not a, I'm not a jealous or angry person towards other people. Like I'm the type of person that will engineer, like I want to help you. Like I put others before myself. Um, but this experience, it just sort of changed, changed that in this instance, as you know, if you have this life goal and it may not be attainable, um, I just like, I went all the way down that path of like, if we want a family, like what if it's not possible? you don't, you're not, nothing's a guarantee. So I think I was jealous and envious of the people who get a positive pregnancy test and then immediately think this, this is going to be a baby and it's going to be born nine months later. It's going to be perfectly happy and healthy. And it just was a, it was a difficult thing for me to grasp. And you don't know what other people have been through and not everyone has had the perfect pregnancy. But for me, just seeing that people had kids, it was just really, it was really hard for, for me to go, for me to go through. Um, so the doctor had recommended that we wait, I think two to three cycles. And honestly, I wasn't in the mental mindset to even think about trying like my body. It took a long time to heal. It took over a month for the levels of HCG to go down. And it was very weird to abstain and then also hope for a negative pregnancy test, which I was taking at home to make sure that my levels were going down because I felt it and the headaches and the sweating and the chills that I was experiencing. But like taking the test was a good indicator that I could do to say, you know, like things are progressing in addition to the blood work that I was having done. But like taking a test and hoping that it be negative was just like the inverse of what I had was expecting for the past, you know, nine, eight to nine months, uh, which was completely confusing to me, like hoping that it's negative. Um, so we started trying again in September and the first time you try, uh, especially this time around for me was 
was really challenging because you are naturally just met with extreme fear and apprehension for it happened once people said okay no it's fine don't worry about it It'll, you know this means you can get pregnant it happened again there was a you know you still can get pregnant but is it going to happen a third time and will i be able to handle that and i would go on you know the the groups and I would see people who, you know, had all of these losses and I would say to myself, I, I don't know if, if I can do that. Like, how, how much can you take? Like, what is my limit? And I think in the early um, aftermath of the mis miscarriage, not in the mindset to be even thinking of trying again. And then towards the September, October timeframe, you start to turn a corner and you get through what you need to get through. You're more like you're more likely just managing better the the painful experience and the emotions that come up. Um, it's not something that you think about all the time. It's not all consuming. Um, you just learn to manage it better. And it's, it was a slow progression of returning to myself. I think because when you after a loss, after multiple losses. Like you go back to work. I just took off, you know, a couple of days for the DNC because it was like the holiday week. And, you know, on Monday I was back at work and you're just, you have to pretend like that you're normal, like, and that you're your old self. And for me, that was really hard because you're sitting in meetings, you're talking to people and you're like, I don't really, for me, it didn't matter as much. Like I had different priorities in life and it was really exhausting to be, a different jest during the week and then I could come home and just like unload and sit and mope on the couch and like say nothing and not have to pretend like that everything is okay and that I didn't just experience what I had been through. So by the October, September timeframe, started feeling better. September we were unsuccessful. I had stopped wearing the the bracelet um, because it was also giving me some anxiety for you know, is my temperature going up? Um, do I see the cervical mucus that I expected? After my DNC, my cycles had been really short. So like 23 or 24 days um, prior to the DNC, they were like 27, 28. So it was like my body was still getting adjusted to things. Um, so started wearing it again in September, October came around, I'd say we tried a little harder, if that makes sense, like more times, um, every other day, like it was tricky. My husband travels a lot for work, so it's not always a guarantee that, you know, right time, right place will be available. But October, I felt a little more optimistic about, and I said to myself, okay, well, you can test on Halloween. And I used to have so much um, self-control when it comes to testing. It's like, you can wait, you can wait. And this time around, like I didn't, and I totally caved and I bought tests when I was buying Halloween candy, like earlier in the week around like the 29th. And I was like in CVS and just buying the candy. And I'm like, I might as well see if they have the right tests. Obviously like the, the first response tests. And they did. Um, so I bought one and I go home and I, you know, you know, for me, like the morning, the morning pee is always the strongest. And I, 
uh, was like, you can just wait until tomorrow. Like, just wait until tomorrow. Like, if it's going to be no, which is like sort of the answer that I was thinking I would get, like, I'd rather just know now. Like, just tell me now so I don't have to wait a couple of days. Because when you're in this two-week wait period, which for me, with my cycles being shorter, it wasn't even two weeks. But like each day, it was just like, I just, I want to know. Like every woman There's wants like to a know. little angel and a <laughs> devil on your shoulder that's like, do it. Don't do it. Yes. Don't do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, old, the old me was, you know, just like wait until your period is expected. And, you know, if the line is there, like the line is there. And if it's not, it's not. You don't have to go back and say like, do I test again? And like, is it faint or whatever? But this time around, like when you test early, you can, you know, get into the like, do I see something? Do I not see something? You know, a no right away doesn't mean a no later on, just give it time. So you have this internal debate in your head, like the good tester and the bad tester. The bad tester totally won. I took the test when I got home from work. um, And I had just like used the restroom like an hour before after like chugging some water. So it was like very diluted and not the best sample to give. But like I said, you, it was like, I was hoping that it would be negative to just confirm my like, here we go again, have to try again. So I take the test and you know, you're waiting during the three minutes. Like my husband wasn't home. My cat was with me. And I'm just like, you're probably thinking I'm crazy. Like all that you've witnessed uh, in this past year. And I wait for three minutes and like, I look at the tests and there's something on the test. And I was like completely, I was still shocked in the sense that you're like, you go into positive test mode with like, okay, I need to call the doctor. I need to like get the blood tests. And like, why is this so faint? I'd say this was like the faintest of the lines between the other two that I had taken for the first one, just because it was early. I was probably like 10 days after ovulation. So I was like, okay, test tomorrow morning. It'll be, it should be stronger because it's in the, in the morning and you'll feel more comfortable. So I start taking these tests and then in true fashion, like every day, sometimes multiple times a day uh, for like the next week, I'm taking tests and, you know, you write the date and the time and you're just saying like, okay, is this darker comparing it to two days ago? Like, I'm like, this is my life right now. And I had gone to, you know, do the appointments with the doctor and my first level that was taken, you know, like the first level is the first level. It's really about the benchmark of the second. So when the second one came and I got those results this week, she's like, everything, it looks good. And we can make an appointment for, you know, the week of Thanksgiving where I would be around that seven week, um, three day mark. So for me, that was the, the point where during the mis- miscarriage, that was the size of the baby um, from what she measured where things, you know, didn't go wrong. Uh, things went wrong. So right now, I thought it was an interesting time to come on to this podcast because I know, Shelly, you're going through. I'm like, you're everything lo- you're saying, I'm just like you know, deep like, breathing. Like I'm totally you know, like there my with China you with the anxiety. Conceive, <laughs> my trying to conceive twin where like I'm watching your videos on like the test and I'm like, I don't have a YouTube channel, but if I did, like I would be Shelly right now. This is it's such a it's such a, a toll on your, your mental, your mental health. Oh or, gosh. Yeah. Like 
Sorry to interrupt this episode again, you guys, but I just wanted to add a little disclaimer that Jessica did unfortunately lose this pregnancy just a few days after our recording, but she so graciously still wanted her story to be shared as she wants you guys to know that you're not alone. So let's go ahead and let's do the same for her and let's let her know that she's not alone as well. Testing and it's positive and I'm, I'm still not letting myself get truly excited because I know there's a lot of things, like I need to see something and then after that first appointment, like I need to see it again and then again and again, just because have, my have blood test. family? We haven't. So okay. I said, uh, my husband's like, maybe we can wait until Christmas because we would be around three months then. I think yeah. for me, I need like two ultrasounds. So the first one yeah. being seven weeks would be further along or at the point where I didn't make it before. And then the second one at the end of December would be another milestone, which would be closer to 12 weeks. But Mm -hmm. I think until I actually have the baby, there will, I mean, you don't lose that fear. Something can go wrong. Something can go wrong at any time. Um, Yeah. It's just this confusing confusing thing I, I actually to figure just out. was messaging with another girl and she's like does the fear ever go away and I was like it honestly doesn't like I hate to tell you that but yeah no it, I, do- it doesn't but like you do have these little milestones that at least make you breathe a little bit easier throughout like you said that that timing where you haven't made it before that's like the first yeah. one I would yeah. say I think yeah. you try to, to try to break it down into like manageable time periods instead totally. of thinking like I have to make it all the Nine way. Months. <laughs> I have to make it all the way to July, which for me is interesting since July of this year was like my hell month and yeah. it was also like my birthday month. So if like things work out and the baby like actually progresses and we have you the baby in July. <laughs> Not even kidding you, my my so I don't actually calculate due dates anymore because it just like ruins dates for me. Um, yeah, I know <laughs> it's one, of, one of those triggering things. I but know you're, str- you're I, stronger than me. <laughs> <laughs> but my first due date was my birthday, April. It was, from, from, it was April 26. It was exactly on my birthday, my first yeah. pregnancy. Oh my so, god! Like I feel yeah, yeah the birthday month. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's really hard. But I guess you know you don't realize how strong you are until you you make it through and when you look back at all the crap that you've been through you know no one's patting you on the shoulder for like making it through you know depending on who you have and your support system but I think for me and I would encourage other women like you've made it through a bunch of shit (laughs) and you should give yourself credit for for making it through it because for me this was like the hardest thing that I've ever done in life um Mm -hmm. I haven't had the easiest life you know like I've had probably average where you go through periods of like dealing with stuff and like this by far outweighs anything that I've encountered before. And I think at different points in life, you're tested and hopefully there's like a learning period through it where you come away with it stronger. And I think depending on how this goes, like I would say like, I can't take another one, but I mean, you have no choice, but to learn how to cope. So it's, it's really hard, the rational side versus the emotional side and the debate that you have in your mind of what mm-hmm. to expect and like how, ex- how excited you can feel with, you know, is this one going to stick? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you are currently pregnant. It's so yeah. crazy to me that all of these episodes don't actually have like an ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're all just kind of open-ended, which is why we need to get more update episodes on here. Yeah, I've, I've listened. And one of the things that I didn't mention was, you know, I found your podcast when after I had or, you know, had the mis- miscarriage and was looking for a support system and to hear people who had been through something similar to validate my feelings. And I listened to a couple of your update episodes. And for me, those were really valuable because, you know, you always want to know more and how it turned out. And you can kind of do your social media creeping and see if they have babies, <laughs> babies in their pictures. But it's always nice to hear about their story and, you know, how it ended up so that you're not on like a message board and, you know, a question is asked, someone has similar symptoms as you, and then there's never an answer how it yeah. resolved. So yeah. that's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I always ask this at the end of every episode, if you had one piece yeah. of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Yeah, I, I probably, I have a few, but I'll make it short. Um, I think one is your feelings are valid. Whether you are extremely upset or, you know, you're not as upset as you think you should be, like there's no right way to feel. Um, There's no right amount of time to sort of cope and process what you're experiencing. Like you do you, which I used to laugh at that phrase being like, what Gen Zer came up with this. But I mean, it really, it makes sense. Like you, uh, you know yourself and you just have to trust that you'll, you'll get through it and you can't compare yourself to other people, what you think you should be doing. I think the shoulds are a lot of the inner dialogue that I've had with, you know, should do this, should feel this. You just have to let it go. Um, Two would be you know, take care of yourself. So, you know, self-care is like a popular buzzword. And, you know, I guess for some people it's like getting your nails done, but for me, it's just being nice to yourself. So, you know, not being hard on yourself and not blaming yourself for what's happened. Um, Giving yourself time, like I said, if you get invited to anything kid or baby related, like don't go. I mean, for me, that was a huge trigger. And, you know, if people need to accept that, you can't just have this event happen and then maybe they don't know and maybe they do, but they should respect your, you know, your feeling to attend or not attend. And then lastly, therapy. So I have been going to therapy for over 10 years. I, I think I started in high school or college maybe. So yeah, 15 years at least. And it can be a little daunting when you are considering whether or not I should go. And, you know, once you find the right person, it's really an an eye-opening experience. I mean, you go to the gym or you exercise for your physical health. And I say you go to therapy for your mental health. There's nothing wrong with you by going to a therapist and sort of working out what you're experiencing with a neutral, a neutral party who's not judging and just lets you unload. I had been going obviously up until these miscarriages and through the miscarriages, it's been a, a good outlet for me to sort of cope with the anxiety of now I have a positive test and you know, like, how do I know it's going to work? How do I know it's not going to work? Like, how do I just get through the day and not obsess about what's happening and focus 
on what I need to focus on. Um, and then, oh, actually I have one more, which is, you know, talk about it with people and the people may surprise you. So, you know, I started off in Facebook groups and I think that was helpful, but I actually went to some support groups where it was for pregnancy loss, miscarriage and stillbirth. And prior to going, you know, you don't know how many people will show up. You don't know who the people are you know, like, will I feel comfortable sharing? Like, will my story be as, you know, impactful or meaningful as other people's stories? Again, the comparison thing, but you go and there's usually like a handful of people, at least in my experience, and everybody has their own story and just sharing those stories and seeing the human emotion in real life was, was really um, a connecting experience where, you know, I just didn't get that from me, you know, the message boards, because in my family, like, this isn't something that anybody's really dealt with. So I didn't have that, like, personal connection to be able to really talk about things and feel like someone really understood what I was feeling. So that's something else that I recommend as well. Yeah, I love all of that. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Is Instagram good? Yeah, or? Instagram. Okay. Yep. Instagram's fine. I, I troll things frequently. Um, <laughs> I am trying, you know, I, you know, social media can be a real, um, it can be good. It can be a trigger as well, but for sure, I am more than open to, to talking with people. And, you know, I think the stronger the community you have, the better. So yes, yeah. please reach out. Awesome. And I'll link that in the description of this episode. Like always, thank you so much, Jess, for jumping on doing this. And I can't believe how similar we are. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. That's I'm taking it as a good sign. Strength in numbers. Yes. There you go. (laughs) Well, keep me posted. Okay. Of course. Of course. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest, so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb pan, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 